0: Thanks for joining us today on the CenterPoint Podcast coming from the Loft on Main in Danville, Kentucky. For more information, check us out at centerpointdanville.com. Well, good morning and welcome. Man, that was some awesome worship, was it not? Come on, give, us, give those guys a applause, man. I, I, I just thank God for their talent, and more importantly, that they, I get to call them my friends, and we get to worship together. And uh, man, I'm just excited about what God's doing uh, through people's lives, and so... Uh, And even in this summer, as we just jumpstart what people's doing, this past week, we're able to see a lot of people come to the summer blitzes, and, and we're able to love on people and just... Watch the connection points happen, and it was just a powerful moment in two locations, and we're just excited about what God's doing this summer. So if, if that's something you want to serve on or be a part of, hey, I man, just come to the connection point in the back, and we'll just get you connected. And, and, and last, man, we're just still chucking away in full-out demo mode before some contractors start work doing what they do over on, on, on Tuesdays and Thursdays as well. So there's a lot of things happening uh, throughout the summer, and so it's up to you to get connected. I know we got summer vacations, and, and some of your like staycations. I like those, too. But, you know, there, there's a lot of things happening. We just don't want you to miss out. So get connected and be part of what God's doing. And, and so don't let the devil knock. How about that transition, okay? Don't let the devil knock and just say, I don't feel a part, okay? We do not want that to happen. So the only way that you can really get involved is for you to walk across that room and say, man, I'm, I'm here. Use me. Here's my skill set. I can only play a harmonica. I'm going to put you on stage if you can play a harmonica, by the way. Okay? Just saying. <laughs> just saying, all right? So a couple of weeks ago, we kicked off this, this short series, three-week series, for the start of the summer, when the devil knocks, and why Why? why do we do that, right? Uh, because we know, first of all, kids are going to be knocking on our door, and we some of them call the devil. I'm just kidding. But, you know, for some of them, you know, we, we, we know that the devil knocks, and he's going to take every, you know, inch that he can do in your life, or he can steal in your life. And so, and because and we, we know the devil's real. Uh, if we believe in, in, in God and Jesus, we also have to admit that Satan is real. And we don't want to glorify the devil. I mean, that's not what we're about, uh, even though there's some people out there that say that's what we do. But, that, you know, it just because we're different doesn't mean we glorify the devil. We just worship God the most authentic and powerful way we know how to. And so, uh, yet expose, we want to expose how he can intrude in your life. We want to literally strip away everything that allows us to see clearly what we're doing. A lot of it's cause, it's self-inflicted. But on some other things, maybe there's some things that he's prowling around ready to devour you because you're alone. You're out here by yourself. And we just want to stay on guard, and we want to fight against the schemes of the devil with Jesus at the center of our life. And when we do that, we can center and point and live, and we can see changed lives that what? Come on, stay with me, church, that changed lives. All right, so that's cool. We know what we can do when Jesus is at the center, but do you know what the devil can do when he's at the center? He can cause havoc. That's right, he can. But we also have to understand that, that what we're in is actually a very real daily spiritual battle with Satan, with the devil. In other words, what you see with your eyes is not all there. There's a physical world, right? There is a physical world, but there's also a very real spiritual world. And I know for some of you in here, this is getting on those grounds of like, "Ah, you know, I believe in church and I go to church and that's good enough for me. But let me tell you something. You're on some sketchy thin ice. There's a real spiritual world ready to come to do some damage in your family. And, man, I'm just going to lean into you. I'm going to start swinging, okay? I'm going to put my Rocky gloves on and go after you, okay? You're the head of the household. My problem from day one, even Adam and Eve, let's go all the way back there. Where the heck was Adam when she was talking to Satan? You know, where was Adam? Adam wasn't around in that moment when he should have been defending at all costs. He should have been there with his gloves ready to fight. To knock the Satan, the devil, out. Because the devil was knocking. There's a real spiritual war going on. And if you're not really ready and on guard and, and just looking around in your world, in your environment, in your household, where Satan can creep in electronically. Maybe that guy. Maybe that girl. Maybe an old friendship. Maybe a Facebook courtship it doesn't matter. Finances, we'll talk about all this stuff here in a little bit, but I just want you guys to understand, hey, today, Father's Day, there's some things that we can do that can change some lives, and it's a spiritual world that's attacking you, and if you're not ready for it, it will flat out whoop your butt. It will knock you out, and we looked at a couple verses a couple weeks ago, and the Apostle Paul said this, that our battle, that our battle is not against people. It's it's not against flesh and blood, but we're in a spiritual battle against forces of darkness, is what he said. You see, we have a very real enemy, and he's called Satan, all right? And on some of you, like, ah, is that the devil in October? Is that the little the horny guy? You know, oh, that didn't sound right. But you know, those moments of, you know, things just come out. Clarity, right? Yeah not professional up here just communication so just communicate clarity speaks everything so he's called satan he's called satan he's called lucifer he's called the prince of darkness he's called the evil one the father of all lies the destroyer the accuser and many many other names his mission is very very clear to us and that is to separate to separate you from god and we know his mission we know his mission, in John ten ten, he he clearly spells it out to us, and he says it this way: He wants to what? He, if the thief only comes to what? To steal. Come on, come on, church, say it with me loud and proud: To steal, steal. Some of you not even believing in that. You think it's nailed no. there? I'm telling you, he's coming. The mission is very clear. Even this week, this verse is so real to me about what happened to me even on Thursday. I was just like, you got to be kidding me. And I just went, what? what? No, this is, this is real. This is his mission. He wants to come to steal, kill, and destroy anything that's good. But Jesus came to do what? To give us life to the what? And have it to the full or abundantly, right? Depending on what translation you use. You see, however, the evil one, Satan, has come to kill, steal, and destroy, and inside is this mission statement. Satan wants to steal your joy. He wants your, to kill your peace. Even this morning, I know there's some people up here with families that are broken, that you're just wanting your rest of your family here, and you're here, but it's broken simply because the evil one has snuck in, and he's not. He wants to kill your peace. He wants to destroy your contentment. He will attack every single day. He's going to attack your finances. He'll attack your friendships. He'll attack the body. He'll attack your marriage. Come on, anybody, amen? amen. He'll attack your spiritual life. Oh, you don't need to read that today. You're good. Hey, why don't you listen to 104.5. Well, I won't say their name because I might get in trouble. But, you know, don't listen to air one. you good just listen to ACDC all day. Highway to, yeah, you know that word. Told you I put my gloves on today. I I think, I think there's a lot of traps that we set ourselves into. You ever played with those little Chinese, uh, um, what do you call those things? Uh, Yeah, finger traps. There you go. I call them handcuffs. You don't get into them by yourself, by the way. I mean, well let me phrase that. Someone really can't really put them on you. you. You have to put them on yourself. And when you put five of them on, like I've done before, it's physically impossible to get them off. <laughs> I don't know why I did that, but I'm sitting there just, like. Has anybody else been in some handcuffs this week that maybe you put your hand into? That you got yourself completely stuck into because you wasn't thinking properly. We're getting ready to start a new sermon series called My Mouth Got Me in Trouble, basically. Me and my big fat mouth. It can get you into some harm and Satan will use it to cause more harm. You see, he's on the attack. He's trying to rob people of the blessing that God wants to bring in your life, but you gotta see it. You gotta understand it. And you gotta see and believe the mission is real. That's why Peter, that's why Peter says this in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, stay alert, stay alert. In other words, always be on guard. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil, because he prowls around like a roaring what? He doesn't say dog, by the way, which I, I'm just saying, I don't like cats, but you know, he does mention a cat in this cat family here. So he's a lion. He's the king of the jungle in the ways of the, the prowling around. Like it just, it, he's literally ready to devour, looking for someone to kill. That's why in this message series, we've, we've been looking at some metaphors of some images of Satan and trying to understand his strategic, strategic move, his strategies, so we can better defeat His plan against me, against you, against your family, against your kids. Week number one, we looked at the deceiver, right? Who is Satan? And if you haven't caught up yet, I would encourage you to go back online and catch up. But you know, who is Satan? He's the deceiver who attacks your mind with what? Lies. In which we came up with this idea of not today, Satan, which I think is a cool t shirt, by the way. But week two, we looked at the accuser who is, who is Satan. He's the accuser who targets your heart with accusations. And today, the final week, I think is the most important one and maybe even a little bit more challenging or difficult to, to dive into and to hear because it's, it's so true, it's so real. But Satan is a destroyer who, who wants to attack or, or targets your will with, with pride. You see, he's the destroyer who targets your will with pride. You see, when I was younger, I used to think that the devil would attack you when you're down and you're out and you're just away from the flock and and, and, and when you're weak and maybe you're vulnerable. And the truth is, he will. He'll pick you off. He'll take you farther than you want to go to because you'll start to believe an end to some of those lies. You're not worthy. You're not good enough. You did this. You did that. However, over time, what I have also learned is is this, that he loves to attack when you are strong and when things are going well. And when you're on top of the mountain, he attacks well and he will it will trip you up and cause you to stumble and fall. Even right now, I know that there are some of you that may be in a season of life and you think, well, things are really good. Man, and it feels really, uh, my family's good, everybody's here for Father's Day, this is just a good day, which, which really means I don't have to worry, right, that much. I don't have to worry about anything. That may be the time when you're the most vulnerable, Because when you're least aware, that's when you're the most vulnerable to be picked off. When you're not paying attention. When you're not on guard. During my college days, uh, my flight instructor, Dave, um, he, he would always teach this way. He would literally teach this way. And he used to drill this phrase into our head. You know, when you're least aware, that's when you're the most vulnerable. He drove that into our heads. When you're least aware, that's when you're the most vulnerable. And trust me, I've had a couple vulnerable moments because I was not paying attention. But he used to say this, when when you pull up to the airport, you go from condition green or yellow to red. It's not when you start the plane. You need to be on high guard when you're walking to the plane. Being on guard with everything, not overlooking anything. Because if you choose to get into that plane, and you, when you forget to, to do a walkthrough or complete that checklist, not skipping one single detail of item on that list, that's when you're going to get. That's when it's going to hit you. That's when something's strategically wrong. will go haywire. And in a plane, there's only one way to go. <laughs> Down. And see, it almost got me one day. It was because literally I made a crucial mistake in a plane, and it was my fault. I went through the entire checklist, but when you go through the entire checklist and you do something that's not in that checklist, it will get you, and what I noticed is in the back seat, I was actually delivering a package, a big box, and, and I was only going from over from Richmond back to Danville, but the box was in the back seat, and I decided to move it to the front seat after I went through the entire checklist. Now, if you don't know much about an airplane, when you pull back on the yoke, it pulls back to your back of your chest to get up and go right But when there's a big box sitting in the front seat that's bigger than the seat and you go to pull back on the yoke and it's not going anywhere and you already have full power, man, I was freaking out. I turned around and looked at my rudder to see, if, you know, the elevator, see if something's wrong. So maybe, maybe some animal jammed it. You know, some, something's wrong. There's just a bird or something. And I'm sitting there just picking up speed. I'm going faster. I'm just going. I'm like a missile on the runway, 100 miles an hour, man. Just getting. I'm, I'm like panic full. And I have like about two seconds to make a decision: go or no go. Runway's running out. I'm just picking up speed, going. I could not get off the ground. I did not look over and see that it was my stupid mistake. By putting a box in the front seat. Well, I went ahead and pulled a no-go, jerked the power, killed the plane, hit the brakes. By the way, that's why the the plane had flat marks on the tires for about another year. (laughs) You knew that it was my fault. It was a constant reminder that I did something that was not in that checklist. You see, when you're least aware of the consequences of moving something, that's when you're the most vulnerable. Because you just think it's okay to do so. Because I want to. Or it's because it's, it's, it's going be, to be better for me. That's when they're the most vulnerable. It almost cost me my life. Simply because I made a crucial mistake that kept me from taking off. Now, I taxied taxi back down the runway and made the, the long fame shame, you know, all the way back down the 5,000-foot runway. Back taxi, you know, 9-6 Quebec. What's the matter? I'd uh, rather not talk about it. You know, and just... All the way back down, one mile down the runway, causing other planes to go around. Yeah, that was all my fault, simply because of a crucial mistake. But my question is, what kind of mistake have you made over the past month? It was completely your fault by just moving something that didn't need to be moved. You see, it's the the little things that turn into big things. You see, however, in our life, when you're least on alert, realizing that your enemy may be on attack, that he often does come in during that time. Not only will he kick you when you're down, but he will attack you when things are going well. So to finish out the series, I thought it would be wise to talk about a person in the Old Testament that many of you are, will probably be familiar with. It's actually about a story or a time when Satan poised a very strategic attack against King David. And he didn't attack David when, when he was discouraged, but instead he attacked at the height of David's power and his popularity. And if you don't know about the rise of, of, of David, um, David's story, he was just a little ordinary shepherd boy, by the way. I mean, he was just minding his own sheep and just taking care of the flock. And, and he was, you know, uh, had a lot of brothers. And, and so, whenever his people, though, his people were at battle against another army, there was a big giant. Now, now I'm tall, but imagine somebody way taller than me. It said that maybe he was around nine foot plus, okay? That's a big dude. Uh, and, and no one could defeat this, this giant named Goliath. But David came to the front of the scene and to deliver some food and was just hanging out. And, and then he sees this big giant down there and David came up to the front of the line and asked, hey, why are you guys afraid of this guy? This one guy is separating us from everything. Because I believe God's on our side. And this little boy named David literally grabbed some stones and a slingshot and went after this dude and, and, and took him out with one stone and then cut off his head and said, we won. The battle's ours. He killed Goliath and swiftly overnight, David, David became the guy, a little shepherd boy, right? Had no experience in military, in nothing, but he is now, I mean, he was, everybody wanted to know who David was. Think about it, In our, if we just fast forward to our time, it would it, be like hashtag this guy, right? Or social media giant, okay, you with me? I mean, who is this guy? Where did he come from? And then now he's anointed to be the king of Israel and he rises to the height of his power. And he's a war hero. When David goes out with, with, with his mighty men, and they're coming home victory after victory after victory, women would write songs about this guy, and they would sing about David all the time and his victories as they were coming back into town. And they would gather on the streets and sing these songs of praises to David. Oh, man, you, you could almost sense the pride swelling up. I mean, come on, man, what, what guy does not like that their women singing songs to them when they come home? That is great. You know, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, this is the scene you got going on. David is swelling. And David has it all. He has the fame. He has women. And he's at the height of his career. But then he stumbles. He stumbles. Not when he was weak or vulnerable. But he stumbles because of his pride. His pride. Now, if you know the story of King David, and I wish to ask everybody at once, you know, what was the, David's greatest sin? I have a great feeling that most people in the room that know the story would say it was the sin of what? Adultery. With what? With who? Bathsheba. We have the Bible people right here. I mean, they're right here. So congratulations, you, you studied well. Because that's true. Because that's what we know David by, Right? But it's amazing we forget that he just killed a giant with a stone, but we call him out for that that sin that changed the culture. It's interesting, right? Even we do sort of the same thing that David gets caught in, we would never do that. You see, if you studied the Bible and and maybe paid attention during some Sunday school moments, um, maybe you might say his greatest sin was not that moment, but perhaps... It was murdering Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. You see, he sent him to the front of the battle, right, to have him offed off because he messed up. You see, not only did he commit adultery, but he had his husband sent to that front line to be killed off during war because his, 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 Uriah was a strong warrior and he knew the only way to kill him off was to send him right in the thick of everything and surround him and, and kill all of his soldiers. That's exactly what happened. But perhaps murder was the bigger sin. You see, if, and if we're honest and take a step back and start to really evaluate the root of the sin that led to adultery and eventually led to murder, I think we would actually probably be King David's biggest struggle along with so many of us, and the truth be told, even me, the battle with the root of sin of pride would surface up to the top and start to boil up. You see, I want you to consider this. Because of David's adultery, four people indirectly died. And if you know the story, a little baby died, Amon died, Absalom died, and of course, he had Uriah killed. You see, there's four people completely directly that died because of his one sin. But because of David's sin of pride, people, uh, we're, we're going to look at this story, and we're going to start to see something because his sin of pride, 70,000 people were actually killed because of this awful sin of pride, and, and, and that's where our enemy often attacks us, not just when we're weak, but when we're what? Prideful. You see, in 1 Chronicles 21.1, if you're taking notes, 1 Chronicles 21.1, it tells us exactly what Satan did, how he attacked. In scriptures, it says, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. And what did he do? Satan came into David's life. And, and when he was confident, when he was strong, and when he was victorious, he and, and, encouraged, and encouraged David to take a census of Israel. And so David's at the top of his game and, and everything's going really well. You, you've conquered kingdoms and now you've had all these people under your command. And every time David did something good and great for the kingdom, and then all of a sudden, the devil starts knocking. Hey, I think you should total them all up and see just how strong and how powerful you really are, David. Look at it now, David. Look at your, look at your kingdom that you've built. You have built, David. Look how awesome this is, David. David you should take a census and to count up all those that you rule in your kingdom David because you are mighty you are strong and you are worthy of this honor Just how worthy are you David count up all the people and see how incredible you are now and look look here at these things and say was it really wrong to take a census And the answer is it's it's not wrong to take a census What's wrong was the motive behind the census because motives matter to God. And there's a lot of prideful people sitting in these seats right now and those who are hearing online that you're doing some things right now currently that, you know that old phrase that maybe your mom might have said, check your motive buster? That was what she used to say to me, but you know, Maybe, maybe she didn't say that to you. You need to hang around with my mom a little bit, and maybe that might wear on to you. Check your motive, right? Check your motive. Motives matter to God. Yeah, it's okay to check a, take a census, but why are you doing it? If it, if it, God's not at the center of it, maybe that's a motive that's wrong. And a lot of us, we do things that literally we want to see him succeed, but God didn't was not in it in the beginning. And he's definitely not gonna be there right now because you're just, you're forcing this thing to work. It's all on you. Your motives are way out of balance of where God wants you. And that's exactly where David was. You see, taking a census isn't a bad thing. You see, Moses actually took a census, but the motive behind Moses' census was entirely different. In fact, what Moses would do is he he would take every man over the age of 20 and give them a half a shekel. And this was known as an atonement money, a ransom money. And what he was doing is saying, this represents honor to God. And I want to count up the tally, a total amount of those that God has rescued and redeemed from bondage. Totally different scenario. You see, this represents giving glory to God because we're seeing how many people God actually set free So with Moses, the census goal was to give honor to God. And with David, the goal was to bring honor to himself. And this was disgusting in the eyes of God. You see, a lot of people right now in this room are now starting to think about motives and where they have done things to gain that extra piece of land, to gain that extra piece of wealth to gain that extra bigger house, swimming pool, garage, new car, whatever it may be, to brag more about what? Myself. Bigger room, bigger this, bigger space. Why? Pride. In seminary, I was, one of my professors, Dr. Henson and he, he was able to allow us to, to, to explore so many people. And there's some great authors that if you don't have some authors to read through the summer, I would encourage Thomas Merton for one example. Man, just get on to anything Merton. It's really solid. But there's another author. His name was Ken Blanchard. And it's a servant leadership. And so one of the books that we read under Ken Blanchard was Servant Leadership. And in the book, he talked about Ego. Ego, just the word ego, and, and, and the idea of the word ego, we, we could either do two things with ego. We could exalt God only, or we could edge God out. It all depends on you, your ego, where you want to go with the trajectory of where you want to run with God. You can either edge God out, or you could exalt God only. And I think a lot of people edge God out by their pride. I think pride is one of the number one stumbling blocks in most men's lives because we edge out God with what he could do with you. And what I believe is true for many people, especially men in this room right here, right now, is that we know what is the right thing to do, but in the end we edge God out from the blessing because we take the credit for the things that he did or the things that he's going to do. For me, This is where it gets personal. Over time, what I think I lived under is the art of misconception, right? And and pride was not a big issue for me. That's what I thought. However, deep down inside, it was eating me up, it was taking me over. I would even say things like, I'm an, uh, you know, I have an amazing wife. Let's just be honest, I do. Uh, I am blessed. but I would say, I have an amazing wife to keep me humble, to keep me grounded, and to keep me on track when in reality, it was just a fantasy I was making up. I would hear her, her what she said, but the only thing I would hear is like the Charlie Brown thing, wah, 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 wah. and I'd like, and smile. I got that down right. I mean, I know how to smile. I'm listening. I got you. I'll, I'll adjust that, but I would go live exactly the way I wanted to. And she was trying to help me see the pitfalls that were coming. She was trying to see the the 90 degree curve ahead and trying to allow me to know the caution, push the brake. Hey, do not take off yet because there's a box sitting in your front seat. You are going to die, Jason. But hey, I'm in control of that plane. I can move wherever the heck I want to, anytime I want to, because I'm the pilot in command. And that will burn you every single time. That's the way I lived, that's the way I rolled. And if I'm completely honest, there's some days that's how I still live. And you're like, well, what kind of pastor are you? Honest. I'm just being honest. I'm not perfect. Even though i got a microphone doesn't mean me make me perfect. It makes me human. You see, in the church world, and a lot of you... Don't understand this, and, and that's not demeaning who you are, but let's just think about it this way. What do pastors have to talk about to other pastors? Especially around here, okay? I'm just being honest. It's no different than going to Friday night football. Man, our team did this, this. Oh, man, it was so good. Oh, that's just awesome. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, guess what happened at our place? Well, praise the Lord, brother. You know, I, mean, I, I, I get so many, and I just, I, sometimes I don't even go to those events anymore because it just drives me crazy because I can't handle them. But one of the first things that I remember a long time ago is, was, you know, we just, especially in the culture where we live in, it's just so rooted in religion, right? Come on, let's just be honest. We're just rooted in it because we're, we're, we're Kentuckians, <laughs> You know, and some of us are, we go even further. Than that we're we're Bull Countyans. We're crazy. We're locos. We're you know we're we're from we're from we're from Parable, y'all. You know, uh, or Casey County or, or Mercer. Mercer, man, those guys are rowdy. And, and then you got uh, you know Garrett. You, you got you got Lincoln. Lord help him. And you know, and so you got everything around you, right? Washington. You got you got some you got some rooted rootedness of of pridefulness. We we are pride people to the to the core. We are. And But you put this into the church world, it just gets funny. It multiplies. I don't know why, it just does. Uh, but here's what happened to me. I mean, this is just a weird scenario that God orchestrated, and there's no way I can take the credit for it, but I tried. You know, when I was young, um, 20-some-odd years ago, I was the youngest campus pastor in the state of Kentucky, matter of fact, in the nation, I was 22 years of age in charge of a secular campus, Eastern Kentucky University, and I was the lead campus pastor at 22. First one that ever happened. The youngest one before that was like 28. I I, I was the young dog, but I was leading well because I had some great men that poured life into me and I was following in their footsteps. But By golly, man, it sure can swell up every once in a while. Man, good job, Jason. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're doing good here. No, it's just great. It's great to see hundreds of people coming to see. Oh, man, did you hear? We packed out the bee. Oh, man, did you hear? We got so big, we, we had to expand. We, we, had, we, we had to shoot the projection on the outside of the wall, man. We got so big. Man, did you hear? We had, take, we had to take the ravine. We had over 500 people come. It was crazy. And I was just sitting there taking it all in, acting like I was humble, but, man, I sure was absorbing it all. Promoting myself. I was the pride was swelling. And, and 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 then to transition into a position where there was no thriving student ministry whatsoever locally in this area. And, and, and to see it in a way that I saw it in my eyes. I took over an active ministry that only had about eight people involved, and within a short time we saw 75, you know, hundred people. And it eventually got up to our database was well over 150 to 200 students that were actively involved monthly in our ministry. And we did it just in a short time. And then what was even more crazy is we saw 25 other churches connect with us and start wanting to be a part of what we were doing. And we, you know, they just wanted to partner with what God was doing. But guess where the pride was growing? In my heart. Because I didn't know how to listen to other people very well. People would say, hey, where well, we should go this way. I'm like, listen, it's worked this way so far. We should do it this way. Or, or what I was really saying is my way. Anybody been there? Okay, I'm the only one. This is a confession for me. Great. Okay. Um, pride was swelling. It was growing. It was growing like leaps and bounds. And then to drop everything and say, hey, guys, I love you, but God's called me to do something different, which he did, by the way. I do not doubt that one second but he's called me to plant a church and go on faith and take just a leap of faith and say, hey, invite some people alongside of us and and, and would you pray for us? In that moment, I really believed that pride was multiplying because I knew I could do it. I knew I could do this. But there's no way God can get any credit when you know that you can do this. He gave me the skills to take the, the risk He's the one in charge. But man, when I first remember this, I remember well. There was some people that was like, you know, hey, pastor, I heard you're doing this. God bless you. You know, it was almost bless your heart moments. How many people you're running, right? How many people you're running? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, are you talking about cattle? I mean, what are you? What really are you? Right? And I was like, you know, numbers don't matter. Numbers don't matter. That's what I would say all the time. Numbers don't matter. We're just, we're, we're more of a sending capacity church. We're so focused on it. And so now it's years later and we have a full room. We got people serving everywhere and those same people, they don't want to tell I go, up, hey man, number, you know, and, I, and I, you just sense it. It's almost like the screen is flipped. It's because of my pride. You see, numbers really don't matter to us. That's what I told myself pride was really just wedging its way in, especially when I would see these other guys and I know their numbers are decreasing and our numbers are increasing and the question would be why that I was so focused on some of those things. You see, what is it? That's pride. That's pride. And Satan loves to attack when you're at full on pride mode. You see, my role is to point people to Jesus and myself to Jesus. But when I'm weak and vulnerable and full of sin, suddenly I want the glory, just like David did. Let me tell you what I've done in my past. Let me tell you my story. Um, I, I think there are some moments here of, of clarity that allow us to understand of where pride can swell immediately. And when you get around these people and on these Friday night things when we sit around and talk, and, and now sometimes I find myself saying stuff like this, hey, let me tell you what we did this past week. Hey, let me tell you how many people we baptized this week. Let me tell you about the orange strand out there. Let me tell you about how, how many kids we're taking and students were are taking to beach camp. We're taking two buses, man. It's gonna be cool. Let me tell you about the new building. Let me tell you about how, much, how amazing my church is. Hey, let me tell you about the people I counted up this week. You see, it's the very same thing David did. And it's disgusting to God. And it's it's heartbreaking and it's shameful to me to, to admit. See, that's an issue that I have to deal with. And in my life, I'm curious, especially on Father's Day 2018. We know that David was a man after God's own heart and he changed the world. But he confessed it. But pride was David's issue. Others could see it, and that's what's so challenging about it. Some of you right now are going through it. And and, and some of you women are like, Man, I'm so glad my husband's here today. Like, yes, punching. I'm talking to you two. You are in the same boat as your husband. This isn't just for men today, it's for everyone. And if I haven't offended you yet, give me one more minute. You see, it's, it's so difficult to see in the mirror. It's easy to see in everybody else's life, but it's easy and so, so difficult to see yourself. You see, Joab was a, was a guy very low, loyal to David. And he was the commander of the troops and he, he saw it. The very nature, clearly, of what David was into in 1 Chronicles 21, 6-7, it says Joab didn't include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering, in the census. In other words, I'm counting, but I'm leaving these two guys out. Why? Because the king's command was repulsive to him. And I'm going to honor these people and keep them out The command was also evil in the sight of God, is what he thought. So God punished Israel. And if you you read through it, it, it's a heartbreaking story of how 70,000 people ended up dying as a direct result of David's sin of pride. And so I ask you, which is worse? Was it adultery, murder, or pride? Well, adultery is pretty bad. Let's just be honest, right? But pride probably caused it. I'm the king of Israel, and I see a girl. She looked good, and I thought to myself, "I deserve it." I, I, I'm just the person in charge. I'm the, i am the—I'm not just a, no. I'm not. I'm the king, man. I deserve it. People sing songs about. Does she know my song? When David committed the sin of adultery, here's what he said to Nathan. He said, "I've sinned against the Lord." Did you catch that? When when he confessed it to Nathan, he said, I've sinned against the Lord, but when he committed the sin of pride, he put an adjective before the sin, and and he didn't just say I've sinned against the Lord, but he said I've sinned greatly by doing this. I've sinned greatly by doing this. The deadly sin of pride, if you're taking notes, here's the takeaway for the big, the big takeaway for today. You'll You may never be more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. If you don't hear anything else today, I hope and pray you hear this. You may never be more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. And some of you, your your vulnerability right now is because you don't know you're full of pride. Pride creeps in on us. Uzziah was a great man in the Old Testament. He did something pretty cool, and he had an innovative war idea. And because of that, he rose to fame and power, and his pride took him out. And this is what, this is what Scripture says in 2 Chronicles 26, 16. It says, but after Uzziah became powerful, what happened? His pride led him to destruction or downfall. You see, pride can take you out of leadership. Pride can take away your credibility. Pride can hurt your marriage. Pride can hurt your intimacy with God. Pride can hurt your friendships. Pride can lose your credibility in sharing your witness. Pride took him down. And in Proverbs 16, 18 says this, Pride proceeds destruction. An arrogant spirit appears before a fall. How do we see it? in life around us today? How does it make itself visible in ourselves? I believe these words like these. I'm good. Everything's good. You see, this week I, I met with some people and there was one person in particular. I said, how you doing? And the words that immediately came out, I'm good. And I looked into their eyes and I said, you're lying. You're broken. You're broken. And in that moment, floodgates came because I saw through it. You see, when the truth is, you're not good, you're not even lying well because it's written all over your face. What about this one? A lot of us think we're good because we're holy. We're in church. I'm holy. I would never do that. I would never do that. I mean, can you believe she did that or that, can you believe he did that? Can you believe they, they, they walked around looking all so Holy. But they did that. I mean, I would never do that. Would you do that? I wouldn't do that. I know what God's word. I I believe in God's word. I'm in church every weekend, and I would never do that. In fact, we need to pray for them. Because I want to tell everybody what she did or what he did. That's called gossip, by the way. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, yeah. What about this? Oh, I'm I'm a self-made person. I'm a self-made person. I've earned everything. I've got it all together. And it's because I've worked for it and and I've earned it. I deserve it. It it may manifest itself like this. Well, I I know I've probably got this problem with, and you fill in the blank. But I can't tell anybody because I got to keep my reputation up and keep it going. And so I might have a problem, but I can't talk about it to anybody because if, if anybody was to find out, oh, You see, pride, it's disgusting to God. It breaks the heart of God. And we may never be more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. And how does God feel about pride? Let me show you how God feels in James the half brother Jesus tells us this this is what scripture says in James 4 6-7 he says this but he gives us more grace that is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the what humble it goes on to say submit yourself then to God submit yourself say that word with me submit yourself submit yourself then to God Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In other words, when you submit and exalt ego, exalt God only, you clearly are telling the story to the devil. You have no place here. Not today, Satan. Not in my house, not in my family, not in my finances, not in the people that I'm around, not the people that I love. You resist the devil and then he will flee from you. Not because you're strong, but because you are submitting to God and and you are stronger than the evil one. When you submit to God, you have the strength to stand. You're able to resist the devil. The power of God is so much greater than the power of the devil. And then in verse eight, it says this. If you're taking notes, write this one down. It's the best one. James 4, 8. Come near to God, and God will come near to you. Come near to God, and God will come near to you. What do you do? You don't elevate yourself. You humble yourself before the Lord and, and he will lift you up. You humbly humble yourself before the Lord and, and when it comes to God and the, and the evil one, when it comes to heaven and hell, when it comes to light and darkness, when it comes to the power or good, when it comes to the forces of evil, there is no middle ground. You don't kind of love God. You, you don't sort of follow Jesus. Scripture says that, that this friendship is with the, this, this world is hatred towards God. That's why we submit and follow Jesus in everything, not just some things, not what we pick and choose in the Bible. You see, his word is our God. It's it's the spirit empowers us. Your your will is what we want. And God, today we submit to you. You see, that's why we say here is that we want to become fully devoted towards God. You see, when we fully submit to God or fully devote to God, we have the ability to resist the evil one he will flee from us we need to understand that you're never more vulnerable than when you're full of pride and essentially we are declaring our independence from god when we do that and i don't need you god i've i've got this you see humility is declaring our complete dependence upon god i need you moment by moment i need you guiding me i need you directing me i need you your word taking steps and faith towards you. I need your spirit comforting me, speaking to me day after day after day. And what I believe is this, we are in a spiritual battle. Everyone is. It's not when you're under attack. You are under attack. And how do you fight back? You have the full armor of God and you put it on. You have the helmet of salvation. You have the breastplate of righteousness. You have the shield of faith with which literally, changes everything. It quenches the fiery darts of the evil one. You have the belt of truth. The the truth will what? Set you free. You have the shoes prepared with the gospel, the readiness of the peace, and you will have the offensive weapon like no other. And it's called the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And it is sharper than any double-edged sword, full of power, full of truth, full of grace, and full of love. You see, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. And the word was with God. And the word became flesh in the person of Jesus and dwelt among us. We, We fight with the word and we fight with the truth and we fight with the word, we fight with the truth. And when you know the devil is knocking, you draw your sword and humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up in just the right time because he has called you by your name. He has called you by your name. And you will humble yourself. You will submit to him and pray and seek him. And heaven will hear your prayers. You will have your sins forgiven. He will heal our lands. And it will multiply in ways we've never been able to fathom. It will do things like utterly amazing. And we will give thanks to the one who provided. Because our God is good. He is a good, good father. You see, his love endures what? Forever. Because he is our God. Today, I just want to declare this for all the men. And I'm challenging men to lead the way on your knees. But this place belongs to Jesus. But Satan wants to keep you full of pride and away. God wants to keep us humble. And submitting. So I'm asking that God gives us the faith to say no, not just today, but forever. And you may say this get away from me, Satan. Get away from my family, get away from everything, get away from anything that's impure in my mind. Just get away from me. And he must move because God doesn't lie. You see, on our weakness, you will be made strong. And some people look at coming to the altar as a weakness. And God sees it as submitting. And he's about to make you strong. And so that's where we're going to leave it today, when the devil knocks. What's going to be your move the rest of the summer? You see, this is a fight that you can't win on your own. But you can with the help of the Lord. And that's my prayer. That you seek him on your face. Jesus, I thank you for today and I thank you for the truth. I pray that our, our folks and those listening online, they understand this. They fully understand what it means to submit to you. And they, as fathers, that we lead the way and we, we know what it takes is to fully submit ourselves in a position that makes you Lord of our lives. And when we do that, you will provide favor, not just for us, not just for our families, but for those people around us. And God, that's what I clearly wanna see. May we end this horrible sin with pride and humble ourselves before you so we can experience changed lives that change lives. Jesus, that's my prayer. We love you and thank you in your name. Amen. We're going to sing a song called Come to the Altar. Men, I'm calling you out. I just want to see what God does with humble men to change a culture.